0: Welcome to the Beasley Podcast, Risk in the Digital Age. In this series, we explore the fast-changing nature of risks in the product recall and manufacturing defect industry. I'm your host, Alex Marti, head of US Product Recall Insurance at Beasley. Today's episode is titled, What to Expect When You Have a Product Recall Claim. In this episode, Ryan Cleary and John Zeitler from our Beasley Claims team are joined by Simon Adi and Brendan Gray from Baker Tilly, a Beasley service provider and Forensic Accountancy Firm. They will discuss the timeline of a claim from notification and coverage review to the accounting review process.
1: So welcome to the podcast. I think the, this is our, the first of what hopefully will be several um, idea here is to sort of give a high level overview of what to expect when you have a product recall claim. Um, so just quick round of intros. I'm Ryan Cleary. I'm a claims team leader at Beasley uh, for global small business, including product recall. Um, and then John, you wanna go next?
2: Sure. I'm a focus group leader uh, with Beasley handling claims for product recall.
3: Uh, I'll jump in. I'm Simon Oddy. I'm a partner with Baker Tilly, and uh, we handle a significant number of product recalls uh, for the uh, insurance market.
4: And lastly, I'm Brendan Gray. I am an experienced manager at Baker Tilly as well, working with Simon and the product recall team.
1: Awesome. So uh, welcome, guys. And so I think the first thing we want to talk about, let's sort of start from the beginning. So we have a problem. Um, You're you're a business and you've, let's say you got a customer complaint or you realize you've got some sort of contamination in a food product. Uh, What do you do? Who do you you notify? What information do you give them? Maybe,
2: John, you want to start with that? Sure. Um, Well, you mentioned food. Um, You know, Backing up a second, you know, you, you your listener, you might be um, dealing with food, in which case you you might need to contact the FDA. Um, if you're, say, in the consumer goods or the component parts um, space, you might need to contact the Consumer Protection Safety Commission, the CPSC. Um, um, but you might not need to or you're not, not sure. Um, give us a call. I can talk to you, you know. You don't like surprises, we don't like surprises. Um, We'll talk you through it. And if we need to notify somebody, um, we'll let you know. And if we don't know right off the bat, we've got experts lined up in both areas, right? Um, uh, Product safety advisors are on board with Beasley um, to help us out on the consumer goods space. Uh, Melanie Newman and her folks at uh, Matrix Science on the food side. Um, Either way, we can drill down and figure out what to do. Um, But, you know, if FDA needs to be notified, we'll do that. Same thing on the consumer goods space. But, um, you know, basically, you know, we're going to Want to find out, you know, what the test results look like if you've got, say, that contamination issue, and kind of drill down, and um, you know, we're trying to find out what the root cause of this is, and right from the get-go, you know, what the source is, and that might involve who the parties are too, right? We're going to want to know, you know, who you are. We'll talk about this sort of as we go in the sort of chain of events. Um, are you the, you know, are you the, are you the manufacturer? Are you the co-packer? Are you the supplier? Um, you know, and who, you know, or are, are you a combination of those things? Uh, and does the root cause originate, you know, where in that sort of chain of events? And so that's kind of the. Those are sort of the questions that we ask, and 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 that's how we kind of drill down to to figure out where we want to land. So, John,
1: right from the get-go, if I'm calling up, say, let's just say I'm an insured, I've got a P- policy with Beasley, you know, I call my broker and say, hey, we've got a problem. Is there any documentation or anything that they should be pulling together right from the get-go that you'd want to see
2: from a claims perspective? Sure. Um, you know, if you've got a contamination, say, I'd love to see those test results. Um, and, and, you know, if that's not conclusive, I will we'll run those by our experts and and see what, what they have to say. Um, that, that definitely is something that we would wanna see. I don't know, uh, Brandon, is there something from your perspective that um, you'd like to see?
4: You know, from the accounting standpoint, uh, at this early stage, we probably would just kind of join in to make sure we're acquainted with the loss and keep up to speed with the scope of the loss, what the perceived position is in the marketplace and the supply chain what types of products we're dealing with. You know, all that kind of background is important for us down the road once we do get into the numbers. Um, the one other thing I just to emphasize, and I think, you know, John alluded to this already, was the sooner the better, of course. The, the, the early notification is, is key in these situations. Um, from experience speaking, the longer people wait to notify insurers and allow insurers to then get their experts involved and really get this process underway, the more difficult it makes things. So, you know, to John's point he made, you know, don't don't hesitate to, to begin the communications and the process even while you're still conducting your own investigations and trying to figure out everything that's taking place.
3: And just to add actually, Brenda, you make some really good points. I think we've seen over the years that a lot of these insureds are dealing with this for the first time. And so this is the window in which, you know, Beasley with its consultants and experts and the team ready to help right and i think that's what insureds and the listeners need to need to recognize is make that call because you've got a team of experts that can assist whether it's you know from an investigation standpoint or to brendan's point whether it's it's just trying to get your head around what's the scope of this thing and that's going to come later as we discuss different things but understanding the scope the breadth of the problem you know the population of product that could be affected getting things like that organized. Um, you know, Beasley's got its team ready to help with that. And I think that's the phase you're in early on is especially from these insureds that have not dealt with it before is kind of a deer in the headlights scenario. What do we do? You know, and Beasley's experienced this and so have his experts. So it's really, I think you implore the listener here, the insurer insureds to just reach out and make that call and, and, and into that assistance that Beasley set up.
1: You know? Yeah. That's a really good point, Simon. I think, you know, we, we we are an insurance company, right? So we are a source of financial recovery if there's a financial impact and it's covered, but we're also a resource because we deal with this day in and day out. This is what we do. So for a lot of, if you're a small company and this is your first time having a problem like this, exactly that deer in the headlights thing, that's that's where we can actually come in and
3: help. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really valuable here in this market is that there is a ton of experience and, and, and that experience has been, you know, uh, filtered and, and 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 nurtured to the point where it's available for the policyholder really to tap into uh, and I hope they do
1: okay so we we've, we've been notified about the bad event we make a decision everyone makes comes to the conclusion you know what we got to do a recall here could be food with the FDA could be a product a component part whatever um, john from your perspective you know, one of the things that people are going to want to know, a client is going to want to know is, do I have coverage? What do you what do you need to to sort of figure out from a coverage standpoint? Is this a covered claim? Am I going to get is the insured going to get reimbursed for their
2: loss? Right. So the, the key question typically is going to be um, to, to trigger the like you've got a loss. Right. Um, that's clear. Right. If, you, if you've got to recall the product, you can't sell it. Um, The question is whether there's an insured event, and that's going to hinge on whether or not there's a possibility of bodily injury or property damage based on the defect in the product or some kind of an adulteration or something like that. Um, And that's typically going to be what's going to trigger the policy. And to find that out um, is going to be those test results. Um, Sometimes that's really easy. If you've contacted the uh, the CPSC or the FDA and they've investigated and they've issued a recall, well, then it's real obvious, right? Um, they've determined that the the product isn't safe. And so they've determined that there's some kind of bodily injury possibility there or some kind of property damage issue. Um, so then that's real easy. Um, but otherwise, um, short of that, if you can produce some kind of test results that that demonstrates that there's some kind of contaminant or whatever, say you you, you know it never left your facility and you caught it in time, then that's what we would need to demonstrate that sort of a thing. But once we've got that in hand, then we can um, then we can proceed. And um, and then we're going to move pretty swiftly to hand that over to Baker Tilly, who's going to try to you know, d- well, not try, do um, measure the claim and and um, get as get to the uh, the the numbers of it as quickly as we can. Um, but that's really the that's typically what the the coverage issue is. Um, and then and then it's just all those kind of loss components um, about. You know what your lost revenue is. If there's a third party component, we talked about all those. You know who who you are in the chain, um, who the responsible parties are. You might owe somebody money, but also um, somebody else might owe you money as well. um, If 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 they're the cause of the loss, right? This is a reimbursement policy, but um, but you may not be responsible, and so that's why we're talking early on about you know um, who the parties are um, so that we can ch- sort of find out what the, where the root cause is and, and who's responsible early on.
1: So that's an interesting one that we can, we can jump in if you guys um, if you want on that, the issue of if somebody else is responsible, because that does come up a bit. Like, so I, I assume, John, you're talking about the situation where there's like a co-packer or supplier or somebody else who mishandled the product in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so run us through how what happens if that's the scenario and that's what we're sort of faced with and you're the insured and your product got screwed up somehow by somebody else.
2: What do we sure. do? Right. So, you know, um, again, we, we don't we want to get as much information as we can as early as we can. And so then we wanna we're to find out who those players are, and just like you have insurance with us. We want to make sure that we're getting their insurers notified. Um, in this case, their liability carriers, and um, you know, getting them on the horn and making sure that they're aware that they may have some liability. Ultimately, it's you know your contractual uh, agreement with them that's that's ultimately going to get sorted out, and and you'll need to sort that out with them. But um, as we measure the loss. Baker Tilly is going to be able to help you measure the loss and then craft that argument um, to articulate what exactly you're owed um, by this other third party. Um, and so, the quicker that we can sort of nail that down, the quicker you can uh, marshal that evidence and and um, and pursue that party to to resolve the claim and and get moving and get back to doing your the business that you're, you know. Expert at.
4: One thing to add to to John's points that I thought is you know something we've seen in times past is that we've seen insurers, again, this goes to notifying Beasley and, and tapping into the resources that are available and doing it sooner than later. I know we've talked on that a bit, but we've seen insurers in the past who are hesitant to notify Beasley or other carriers when they think someone else may be at fault because they're nervous that that's going to affect premium. It's going to come across like a claim. It's going to change something with their policy that's going to cost them. Um, And I don't know, John, you can add to this or not, but what we've seen is, you know, they, they can likely contact you or contact us through you or whoever is the necessary individuals to at least start discussions with there being minimal or no impact. And John, I don't know if you want to piggyback off of that, but...
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's it. It's not a mistake to go ahead and notify Beasley if you've if like, don't worry about submitting a claim out of a fear that it's going to raise your premium or something like that. The idea is to communicate with us. We're going to work with you. At the end of the day, um, you know, we can help you, you know, size up your claim and and use our experts, our consultants to really hammer home where the liability lies and pursue those other third parties who are actually liable and ensure that their insurance carriers are the ones who pay and not sort of wind up in a protracted litigation that ultimately does wind up being sort of a claims expense that that winds up being a claim for you that you have to sort of pursue at the end of the day, if we get out in front of it, we can ultimately sort of lower the claim costs and push it onto another carrier and ultimately you know, make it sort of better for everybody else. So the, at the end of the day, it's always better to just contact us at, at the beginning, get as much information at, at the outset, um, fewer
0: surprises, the better.
2: Just like shifting gears
1: slightly now, so one of the things I think um, maybe sort of in an effort to sort of demystify for people that might be listening, so one of the issues that comes up also is sort of traceability, sort of like what's the scope of the recall, how far do I have to, you know, sort of what documentation do I need, how far back do I have to look, who do I have to notify, all those things. And so I don't know, Brendan or Simon, maybe you guys want to comment on that issue.
4: Yeah, I can take a first stab at this. So, you know, we've talked about notifying different government regulators depending upon, you know, what product you're manufacturing and who you're dealing with. If you do end up needing to notify them, they're also going to be able to walk you through that process and they're going to have a lot of needs from their standpoint in order to issue that recall and publish it. So a lot of what we'll need, it will be similar to that. And we can work with you on gathering and understanding that documentation. A lot of it relates to production data, sales data. And it's really, the the idea is what is impacted by this issue at hand the insured event? You know, if it's a contamination for food, what is your production window and what production line and what products are affected by it? And then where does that product sit? Is it on hand? Is it at customers, which customers? Is it a consumable product in the market that could infect, that could impact others? So, you know, you're going to be dealing with regulators on that standpoint, but it's also critical from our accounting review process in order to assess the financial aspects of your loss to understand where product sits and who may have it.
3: And just adding to that, Brendan, it, it, where it is, you mentioned, is, is critical because, it, that brings in a new element, right? If it's out at customers, let's say you're in a supply chain and you're merely the supplier of a, an ingredient or something that's used elsewhere, right? That product is now in the supply chain and you've got to kind of understand where it is, as Brendan says, that's important. But what that now means is you've got customers, right? That are gonna be turning around and, and coming back to you as an insured, uh, as the insured and, and the supplier here saying, hey, we've got this product from you and we've got this problem. So sort of getting a handle around that, is it the loss that's sort of contained within your own walls, let's say, for lack of a better description, or is it a, is it a problem, a financial damages problem that's, that's bigger than that? It's gone out to customers because those customers are going to start knocking on the door and sort of saying, hey, you're going to have to take care of me here. You're going to have to figure out some financial damage, right? And and that, that changes the dynamic quite a lot as to what you ought to do the supplier in terms of really getting their cooperation as much as possible. We see it a lot. We see customers who just send back a recall demand, if you will, uh, poorly documented, poor information, not a great deal of documents to show what they're they're demanding and and the quantity and the values associated with it. And you get a supplier or insured who isn't necessarily switched on as to what they should ask their customers for. What sort of information should they gather? make this reimbursement process through the insurance claim uh, more um, more easy to navigate, right, more easily navigated. So that that that's kind of where the product is, it really just sets the tone as to how you need to be able to react in terms of documenting the loss. Is it going to be documents that you yourself hold, or is it going to be documents that somebody else has that you're going to need to request, i.e. the customers who are coming back to you with, with demand? So knowing that traceability piece what's effective where is it obviously drives some of the decisions in how are you going to handle that recall and document the financial impact
4: yeah absolutely and, you know, can't emphasize enough the need to manage these customer notifications and the responses there and after appropriately you do not want to just be cutting checks for everything that your customer sends back to you without investigating it further otherwise as we've all seen it can make the insurance process um, very difficult for us. You know, when we don't know what you're cutting a check for, why you're cutting a check, and you're not able to answer the question because you didn't get that information from your customer, it just muddies the water quite a bit. Um, And, you know, again, it speaks to the sooner the better that you get folks involved to manage that always helps because what we see a lot of times is we start asking these questions six, seven, eight months down the road from a recall in other situations outside of our work with Beasley. And people come back and say, well, we've already paid our customer and it's been way too long and we can't go back to them again. And now you're kind of stuck with your hands in the air saying, what do, you, what do we do next? Um, how do we get over this hurdle? And it, it's a difficult hurdle to get over sometimes. So um, definitely important to get ahead of that process uh, as soon as you can.
1: You alluded to this idea of a component part versus a finished good. Um, so is there is the notification requirements, or do you, do you handle those differently? Let's just say you're a component part manufacturer. You, you make something that gets then put into somebody else's product, and then that goes out to market, versus you're an insured, and you just make a finished product that goes on the shelf somewhere, and someone buys. And so how does that differ, or is it
3: the same? Yeah, I mean, yeah, typically what we've seen, is that those finished goods, the scope and breadth of the recall population for a finished good typically is a little smaller and less complex than the component part. I mean, if you think about it, right, a component part is going from you, you manufactured it for an ingredient, you manufactured it, it goes to your customer, they use it, you may or may not know where they use it, how they use it. And then it just continues and can continue to go downstream, right? They may sell a part that then gets used by somebody else, their customer. And so you can start to sort of visualize what I'm describing. There's just this giant spider's web of sort of connectivity between your product and where it ends up. And so that complexity just is, in our experience, way greater as far as trying to get, you know, cooperation of of the supply chain as far as documenting that loss. That's a much bigger challenge and task than, you know, a finished good that you made and you sold to a retailer, right? It's a fairly uh, one-step removed supply chain. It's a, little, little, it's a narrower scope, and it's just a, a less complicated scenario. It's not without its challenges, but it, you can see the difference, I think, between the two there. The spider's web um, versus maybe just a more linear supply chain that you can maybe communicate and get documentation
1: so that's a good segue. So I guess so. The last thing we want to touch on on a high level today um, is the sort of damages once you have a recall. Um, and you've talked about sort of starting to track that from right from the get go. But maybe you can give us, uh, Brendan, give us a high level sort of overview on you know what we're looking at to to quantify what the damages are in a product recall claim.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talk about tracking it from the get-go, and that's a, a key message to deliver, is we've seen too often insureds who are, you know, obviously under some serious stress as a result of these recall, and their, their key focus is getting a grip on what the scope of this recall is, and who has product, and getting it out of the market, because that could just lead to bigger issues, and understandably, that's their focus. But what ends up happening is, they lose sight of tracking the financial aspect while doing so, and it's a working backwards process then where they're trying to figure out what costs they incurred, when they incurred it, and backtracking to try and figure out what documentation they do and don't have. So don't wait for the investigation to end and to have that grip to think about financial components of your loss and tracking those components. Um, we've seen some really successful ways people do that, one of which is things like creating separated GL accounts where you track and capture all of your costs simply into a new line item on your account records to be reconciled after the fact. Um, keeping written correspondence of situations uh, with customers, other parties, um, you know the FDA or other governmental bodies that you're dealing with, you know all of that is important to kind of make sure you're, doing and tracking from day one while trying to get your grips around this recall and what the scope of it is and how you need to manage it. Um, You know, flipping to the financials themselves specifically, you've got a few key areas and I'll touch on them really high level here. Um, Those key areas typically are your inventory on hand, um, your third party damages, which we've touched on. Uh, and your business interruption and loss of gross profits and uh, a fourth, you know, other area to keep in mind are extra expenses or incremental operating costs. Um, You know, those are all the key areas. Inventory on hand tends to be one of the easiest areas that if you track it properly, like we've talked about through the traceability exercise, and you work with us on that information, We typically can get that area of the claim buttoned up relatively quickly and work with John and Ryan in presenting that portion of the damages to them for consideration while we continue to work on other areas. uh, The business interruption loss of gross profit is clearly one of the more complex areas that typically takes a bit more time to work through. Um, And your third party damages are, you know, you can manage those as they come in. And work, you know, work simultaneously while you, you know, with insurers while you respond to that. Um, I'm not going to get into the weeds of these too much, though, because we do have some other podcasts coming out in the future where we're going to take a really deep dive into all these areas specifically because we could be here for a very long time talking about that.
1: Excellent. Well, that was great. Um, good talking to you guys. Thanks for everybody getting together today. Um, looking forward to the next one. We can uh, dive a little deeper into some of the financial uh impact of a a breach, I mean, of a recall and how we're going to help you over those humps. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon, guys. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for another edition of Risk in the Digital Age. I'm Alex Marti, and I hope it's been an enjoyable podcast for you. Be sure to keep a lookout for future podcasts in this series. And to learn more about this topic and others, please visit Beasley.com for an extensive library, videos, podcasts, and blog posts.
5: This podcast is for preliminary informational purposes only. Beasley Insurance products are available on an admitted basis in some but not all U.S. jurisdictions through Beasley Insurance Company, Inc., and are available on a surplus lines basis through licensed surplus lines brokers, underwritten by Beasley Syndicates at Lloyds. The exact coverage afforded by any product described herein is subject to and governed by the terms and conditions of each policy issued. The publication and delivery of the information contained herein is not intended as a solicitation for the purchase of insurance on any U.S. risk. Beasley USA Services, Inc. is licensed and regulated by insurance regulatory authorities in the respective states of the U.S. and transacts business in the state of California as Beasley Insurance Services. License number 0G55497.